To you, my brothers and sisters, what do we do or where do we turn when we face the trials and the complexities of this life? I use the pronoun we on purpose because that applies to us as preachers just as well as any of the rest of you. We are not exempt. You may be here this morning and you may be facing a difficult relationship. You could have an ongoing or degenerative health issue. You might have experienced a financial reverse. You might be overwhelmed with the increasing elder care demands. I know there are several families here that are caring for the elderly uh, and a lot of increasing demands. You could be here grieving a prodigal child or you may be here and severely missing a loved one or you can fill in the blank. I guess we encourage transparency in our churches, don't we? I feel like I struggled some last week in a few of these areas. And it was only after I was willing to look beyond the temporal struggles and focus on the eternal that I found release and gained traction. Any of you been there? We talked about uh, our shepherd and we talked about the mountaintop and we talked about the valleys. And I don't believe that you all always live on the mountaintop. At least I don't think you do. That's not realistic, neither do I. And what do we do when we face some of these difficult, these complexities of life? What do we do? Where do we go? The title of the message this morning is Looking Beyond. Uh, I was really encouraged this morning by the songs we sang, the devotional thoughts. Uh, Mel mentioned a while ago that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham lived in a tent. He built an altar, but he was looking for something better. He looked beyond, and that, that's encouraging when I hear comments like that because it encourages me that I believe that's lending to what I want to share. So the title of the message this morning is Looking Beyond. I submit to you that it's not the obstacles and the difficulties in life that defines our character but rather it is the object of our faith. I'm going to read that again. I submit to you that it is not the obstacles and the difficulties in life that defines our character, but rather it is the object, capital O, object, Jesus Christ, the object of our hope. And no matter what we face in life, Jesus is our anchor of hope. I'd like to commend you to him this morning. For a text, I would invite you to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The first point of the message is Jesus looked beyond the cross to the future joy. Jesus looked beyond the cross to the future joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible reads this way. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What did he do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Jesus knew every, excuse me, Jesus foreknew every intimate detail of the upcoming cross experience. 
Jesus knew of the betrayal. He knew of the unjust trial. Jesus knew of the ridicule. Jesus knew the scourging. Jesus knew ultimately of the cross experience. And I really appreciated Brother Clare's sermon at communion, the cost of my sin. And he went over these things that Jesus knew intimately about. But I believe one of the greatest battles that Jesus fought, if that's okay, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but one of the greatest battles that Jesus fought was there in the garden where he said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. Jesus looked beyond the cross and he looked to his Father. This text verse, who for the joy that was set before him. I believe Jesus' focus beyond the cross was intentional. What was the future joy that Jesus chose to focus on? I don't know what you would say. I don't know that I have verses for every one of these, but I would like to suggest a few things that Jesus looked beyond the cross to the joy that was coming. Number one, I believe Jesus was looking forward to being united with his Father. I don't have this one in my notes, but I won't charge any extra. I believe Jesus was looking forward to being home. Jesus went on a journey. He came here. He lived his life. And he did what the Father wanted him to do. I think he was looking forward to going home. I think you all, you go on a long journey, you have something to do. East or west, home is best. It's good to be back home. Number two, I believe Jesus was looking forward to experiencing the approval of his Father. And we know Jesus experienced that here. The Father at his baptism said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But I believe Jesus was looking forward to the approval of his Father. Number three, Jesus was looking forward to experiencing joy every, over every sinner that repents. And I couldn't help to think about the thief on the cross. Even before Jesus went back to heaven, the cross experience, there was two thieves and there was one that acknowledged that we are here justly and this man Jesus has done nothing amiss. And I believe it was a beautiful picture in a dark day, a bright spot for Jesus when one of the men turned to him and accepted Jesus for who he was as the Messiah. Not only here, but when Jesus got back to heaven and when we know the Bible says that there is joy in heaven over every sinner that repents. And so Jesus is experienced and he was looking forward to that joy when people would turn to him and I believe Jesus is experiencing joy yet today. Number four, I believe Jesus was looking forward to his wedding day. I was reminded, I wrote in my notes, Colleen's wedding. Weddings are, not, weddings are a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun. I made that comment. We were getting ready for Sally's snickering. We were getting ready for Colleen's wedding, and there were so many details to take care of. And I said, that's a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun. And brothers and sisters, I really believe that Jesus, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. 
all the details and all the things that Jesus says he's preparing a home for you and for me, would he say weddings are a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun? I don't want to bring Jesus down to our level, but I believe that Jesus has had a lot of blessing and anticipation as he's prepared a home for you and for me. It's a lot of work, but I believe Jesus is really anticipating his wedding day, are we? I believe that looking to the future joy gave Jesus strength to endure the cross. Jesus was facing the most difficult trial that was ever recorded anywhere. And intentionally, Jesus looked beyond the cross, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame, shame and is set down at the, with the Father. You know, that was Jesus' experience, but I ask you, as you face the complexities and the struggles of life, what joy, future joy, do you have to look forward to as you look beyond the difficulties that you face now? I would like to suggest a few things. I suggest that it'll be wonderful to see Jesus face to face. Are you looking forward to that? Secondly, I think it'd be wonderful to hear those beautiful words of affirmation. Jesus would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Does that give you some hope beyond the difficulties that you're facing today? Looking forward to hearing Jesus say, well done, my son or my daughter. You have been faithful. Thirdly, looking forward and meeting family and friends and the faithful who have gone on before. I'm looking forward to that. Fourthly, maybe I should turn to this, would be the five tragic results of sin will be no more. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. In the future... The Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The five tragic results of sin are done away with. Fifth, are you looking forward to eternal rest when there's no temptation? Sixth, Exploring the unending boundaries of God's glory. I was reminded of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I hope I can quote it. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. We have a little glimpse. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 God has given us a little glimpse of the wonders in heaven. But I have not seen nor ear heard. I believe there's so much that has not been revealed to us. Are you looking forward to that? And number seven, no time restraints in worshiping the Lord Jesus or in fellowshipping with the saints. Here, we get together and we look at our, our watch and it's, Soon time to go home, but that won't be an issue there. I believe some of these seven things that I just mentioned should help temper the struggles and the trials and the complexities of life that you are facing, that we look beyond that, just like Jesus did. Who for the joy that was set before him? Do we look for the joy that is set before us 
to help us bear some of the struggles, some of the trials that we are facing. But on the flip side, I believe that if we persist in an earthbound focus, we will self-destruct. Brothers and sisters, may God help us to lift up our eyes above the current struggles to the future blessings that God has promised to the faithful. And I say praise his holy name. Second point of the message would be another man who looked beyond, and that would be Moses looked beyond the treasures of Egypt to his future reward. This is a little bit different. Jesus was looking beyond the trial. Moses looked beyond some of the things that the world had to offer him. I would invite you to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. I'd like to read this from the NIV. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, or when he was come to years, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He needed to make a choice. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. The ESV says the fleeting, the fleeting pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses looked beyond the treasures of Egypt to his future reward. You know, God had a specific plan. He had a specific purpose for Moses before he was ever born, and that was to deliver God's people from their bondage. Do you believe that God has a specific plan and purpose for your life? You might say, I'm not a high-profile prof- person. I don't teach Sunday school. I don't do this. I don't, I don't preach. I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable in some of these areas. That may be true, but to every one of you, I believe God has a purpose. And I think I know what that purpose is. Now, what his plan is, I don't know. But God's purpose for you is that you bring honor and glory to his name. In the life that you live, is that what your purpose is? Now, how God brings that to fruition, his plan? Keep close to him, read to his word, seek him in prayer. And God will reveal himself to you and what he wants you to do in the future. One thing, question that came to me, and I asked Sally, and we hardly knew how to come out. In verse 20, it says, when Moses was come to years. Who can tell me? You don't have to do it now. When did Moses come to years? When did he come to the age of accountability or when did he come to the point where he threw off what Egypt had to offer and he accepted what God had? Uh, If you all want to talk to me after the service, I'd be glad to hear your perspective on when did Moses come to years. I'm assuming it was probably later than some of the most of the rest of you. But Moses came to this point and he needed to make a decision. And what did Egypt have to offer Moses? I would suggest to you one thing. He had security from a vast army. Secondly, prestige and privilege by being adopted into the royal family. Third, 
Moses had unlimited wealth and supply at his fingertips. Fourth, Moses had high education at the feet of the most brilliant minds in Egypt. And five, Moses had a life of ease and social status if he wanted it. But Moses came to the point when he came, came to years, he needed to make a decision. In verses 25 and 26, the Bible would tell us that Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt and he chose to identify with the people of God. And I would tell you, as a congregation, I had the privilege this morning of teaching the instruction class. And Renee Summers and Cody Miller and Terrell Camel was in the class this morning. And I submit to you as a congregation, we have three young people who have made the same commitment that Moses did. The Lord willing, these three dear young people will confirm their commitment to the Lord Jesus and to the body of Christ next Sunday morning. And I say that's exciting. Sometimes there are some issues in, in the life of the church that we, we may have to deal with, and they're unpleasant. They're not enjoyable. But it sure is a blessing as I think of next Sunday's service and having three young people join our congregation. I just want to wish them God's blessing and do what you can. Let's be a mutual encouragement in their walk and their journey toward heaven. As we think of Moses and we think of these young people that have made a commitment, most of us in the auditorium here today have made that same commitment at our conversion and at our baptism. But brothers and sisters, that commitment needs to be ongoing. There needs to be a work of sanctification in your heart and mine. And why do I say that? The reason I say that is because you and I are inundated daily with the appeals from this world and what it has to offer. Have we, like Moses, rejected the appealing treasures of Egypt? Or do we feel that we, can, we have the ability to pick and choose those offerings from the world that really won't contaminate us too much. You know, I really don't think this is gonna bother me too much. I, I kinda like to do a little of this or that. Do we ride on the fence or do we reject the treasures of Egypt just like Moses did? We did make commitments at our conversion. Are we being faithful to those commitments? I would just like to say on my desk as I was preparing my, the sermon for today, I picked up John David Risser's testimony. It happens to be laying on my desk, and I've referred to it before. But there's several things. I'm not reading the whole thing. I don't have time to read the 10 points that he had. But I would like to read two of them this morning. The first one I would like to read is number six on his paper. And I'd like you to think about it, what he said. And I believe there's a lot of truth to it. John David said this. I believe affluence in my experience will cause self-sufficiency and discontent which will need to be crucified in order to have victory in my Christian walk. And I want to ask you, are you affluent? We can look at ourselves and we know that's not a good thing to do. We may compare ourselves with someone else and we say, 
Well, no, he's got a lot more than I do. But as you think of the majority of people in this world and what they have to live on, I ask you, are you affluent? John David says, I believe affluence in my experience will cause self-sufficiency and discontent, which will need to be crucified in order to have victory in my Christian walk. What do you think of that statement? I wish I had the time to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. But I think I'll pass on that this morning. It talks there about godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world that's certain we can take nothing out. And so on. Uh, you would like to, you could read that this afternoon. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. The second thing that John David's second statement that he referred to was number eight on the paper and he said I believe if self is my focus either physical or spiritual suicide will occur I believe if self is my focus either physical or spiritual suicide will occur and it reminded me of the count that we have the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 I'm not going to read the whole passage. You know this, this story well. I'll read a few verses. Verse 20, And the young man saith, All these things, or all these commandments, have I kept from my youth. What do I like yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions what do you think that young ruler's perspective is today do you think that his great riches have benefited him do you think he is really happy for the benefits that he had of those great treasures it says that he went away sorrowful and I believe he is much more sorrowful today than he ever was and those riches did not benefit him I believe if self is my focus, either physical or spiritual suicide will occur. I was also reminded of what happened to Judas. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 5. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went out and hanged himself. Sounds like suicide to me. Last point of the message, and I'll probably not spend much time on these, but these are some other or additional Biblical examples of those who look beyond the temporal to the eternal. This morning we're looking beyond. Jesus looked beyond the trials to what was, was coming later. Moses looked beyond the offerings of Egypt. And here's a few others of people that looked beyond. I thought of Queen Esther. And if you remember how Haman wanted to just destroy Mordecai and the whole nation of Israel... 
Mordecai encouraged her. He said that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you know the story how she put her life on the line and she said it's really, it's against the law for me to go into the king but I'll go in to appeal to him. I'll fast and you fast and if I perish, I perish. Esther looked beyond the present situation. She laid her life on the line and she said if I perish, I perish and you know the story, the wonderful deliverance that happened. Secondly, I thought of Daniel and Daniel 1.8, if you remember, they were to go and to bow down to the image, uh, bow down and worship. And Daniel 1.8, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. What the world had to offer, Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. And then later in chapter 6, verse 10, if I remember right, there was an edict that went out. And the, they had proposed that nobody could pray to anyone except to the king. And Daniel heard about that. And maybe I should turn to Daniel 6.10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and he also had to make a decision. And his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And you know what happened. They threw Daniel into a den of lions and once again there's a tremendous deliverance. Sally and I was looking at the story last evening and she says, doesn't it say lamentable? The king went out and said, Daniel, has your God been able to save you? And he said, yes, God has saved me. He has shut the lion's mouths in a tremendous deliverance. Daniel looked beyond the present situation to the power of God, and God wonderfully delivered. A story very similar would be the three Hebrew men. I guess I'll read that, the part of it. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. You know the story there. Very briefly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They looked beyond what was demanded in this life. They looked beyond, and once again, God wonderfully delivered them out of the hand of the king. The last one I'd like to consider is Zacchaeus. Once again, I won't read a lot of it because you know the story well. Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verses 8 to 9a. You know the account. This little man crawled up into a tree wanting to see Jesus. How much are you willing to sacrifice or to look different so you can have a connection or a meeting with Jesus? Luke chapter 19, verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from, my, from any man by false accusation, I restore him 
fourfold. And what did Jesus say? And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was a man who repented fully, and he followed through with restitution. And we, what a beautiful story. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, it's imperative that we look beyond the many difficulties of this life to the one who can give us victory. Life is complex sometimes. There's difficulties. And I think often we see through a glass darkly. We don't understand it all. But it's imperative that we look beyond the difficulties to the one who can give us victory. Jesus told Paul, what is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, I believe it is. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't enjoy the weakness. We don't enjoy the struggles. But Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I guess I'm not there yet. I think that's a difficult prayer to pray, that, you know, I glory in the difficulties and the weaknesses that I have. But isn't it true, when we're going through difficulties, that's when God is close. He has the ability to reveal himself and to do miracles that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then am I strong. That's the difficulties in life. But the other situation that we looked at, it is also imperative that we look beyond the fleeting pleasures that the world has to offer. And I close with these three verses. Titus chapter 2, thinking, looking beyond what this world has to offer to the future glory and blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, I'm sorry, that's verse 11, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world what do we do we need to look beyond verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ what did he do verse 14 he who gave himself for us that we might redeem us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works may God bless each of us as we look beyond the temporal to the eternal. May God bless you to that end. Shall we have a song?